Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. Let's dig in, and we're going to uh, look at Matthew chapter 2 this morning. And uh, we'll begin at verse 1. Let me just give you a little context where we've been in this, uh, this brief message series. We started this message series on, on Christmas Eve, and uh, the title of the message series is On Time Delivery Guaranteed. The fact that God sent his son just at the right time for us as the perfect, most awesome gift that he could ever give to you or me. And we, we've talked uh, about how God did that, even though sometimes we might feel uh, God's a little bit late in our lives because we're going through a lot of hurts and, and, and suffering and pain. We talked about that on Christmas Eve. Last week, we talked about the, the benefits of this gift and how wonderful this gift is, that God promises that through the gift of his son, he is going to remove our sin, our guilt, our shame, it's going to take away our fears and replace them with joy and peace. And today what we want to talk about is the last point of last week's sermon was how this gift grows on us as time goes. And we talked about the difference between that and other gifts where sometimes you get a gift on Christmas and over time, sometimes very rapidly, the value of that gift kind of just filters away. And yet the gift of Christ grows in our lives. And I want to drill a little bit deeper on that this morning and, uh, and talk about that gift based on uh, Matthew 2 and our response to this amazing gift of God's Son, Jesus Christ. So let's uh, take a look at Matthew chapter 2. If you reach inside your bulletin folder, you can uh, pull out the crosswalk notes. It's a little white half sheet that will allow you to follow along in the message this morning. And uh, you'll find it right there inside your, your program. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who, was born, who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So this time of year is a great time of year for uh, white elephant gift parties. 
Anybody attend a white elephant gift party this last Christmas? Man, I have been to some awesome white elephant gift parties. I remember when I taught here at ALA, we had a white elephant gift party every year. And there was this one particular white elephant gift that made the rounds repeatedly year after year after year. It was a a little ceramic white Buddha that someone had found in their house left behind by the previous party who had lived in the house and they had just left it behind and so it became their white elephant gift and every year it got passed on to someone new it's ironic that a little white buddha would become a white elephant gift because the phrase white elephant literally comes from buddhism it comes from the country of siam or today we call it thailand and that region and the legend goes that only kings were allowed to own white elephants because white elephants were considered to be very sacred animals it was it was rumored the legend was that on the day that buddha himself was born a white elephant was given to buddha's mother and so of course this this made a white elephant a very sacred animal that only the king was allowed to possess our own unless the king decided to gift a white elephant to someone else. Of course, if you gifted, if the king gifted you with a white elephant, you immediately had a huge problem. Because any elephant, some of you have probably dogs that are almost eat as much as an elephant, so you know, it can be costly to maintain a large animal. And so the king finally got to the point where he realized, I can, I can kind of look good and give someone a gift, but yet at the same time, I can slowly destroy that person because they'll have to maintain that white elephant. And so the gift of a white elephant, when the king gave you that, he was really kind of cursing you. He was, he was giving you something that was supposedly sacred, but on the other hand, would slowly drain you of all of your resources. You ever owned anything that was a white elephant in that form or fashion? A lot of us are facing that nowadays. I remember, remember the old money, the money trap, the old movie, the money trap, where they bought this house and all of a sudden just drained them of, of everything. Some of us have owned cars that were lemons. We've owned things that were white elephants. Have you ever thought of the gift of Jesus Christ? as a white elephant? I don't know that we always put it in such crass and blatant terms. But is it possible that at times we look at the gift of Jesus Christ as something that costs us way more than it's worth? I I hope that's not how you feel. And yet... I'll admit there have been times in my life where I've wondered, even for myself. In fact, one of those times was as I was in a jet flying right over this very gym. When I lived in Zambia, when my wife and I were missionaries in Zambia, there came a time in our life where our children were growing up and we had to select a high school for them to go. There really wasn't a, a great high school for them to live in, in in Zambia or for them to attend school in in Zambia. 
And so we made a decision because we had family here that we were going to put our oldest son, Aaron, here at Arizona Lutheran Academy. Great school. And on the night, I, I personally brought him back to, to get him enrolled in school from Zambia. And on the night that I was flying out, the plane that I flew out in, literally because I was sitting in the window seat, flew right over and I looked down and I could see my son, Aaron. I, I couldn't see exactly which one he was, but there were a, a number of young men practicing football on the football field out there. And I knew one of them was my son. And for a few moments, I thought to myself, wow, I'm, I'm literally giving up my firstborn son so that I can follow Christ where, where he's leading me back to Zambia to do my ministry there. And for just a moment, I thought to myself, is, is this really worth it? This is a pretty big price to pay to follow Christ wherever he leads and I can tell you, there were some tears. Maybe some of you have felt the cost of following Jesus. And do you know that Jesus is very blunt and blatant about the cost of following him? He tackles this issue head on. In the Bible, he says, before you decide to follow me, you need to count the cost because you are going to make some sacrifices. And there are going to be times where you might begin to feel that the gift of Jesus Christ is a white elephant gift to you. That it actually costs more for you to maintain than it's worth in the first place. Maybe it'll just be little things. Maybe for some of us, it's when we have to wake up on a Sunday morning and instead of sleeping in or going for a round of golf or just having breakfast and reading the paper, we get up, we struggle to get our clothes on, and we bring ourselves to church so we can hear God's word. Maybe it's a, a little bit bigger thing. Maybe it's a, a relationship that you get cost because you're a Christ follower, but someone that you care deeply about is not, and it creates a lot of conflict and a lot of sparks fly. And so you have to decide. As many young ladies I've counseled have had to decide, am I going to continue a relationship with this young man who doesn't know or love Christ? Or am I going to continue to walk with Christ all the way, fully surrendered to him? All kinds of things, all kinds of costs and prices will come up, right down to making that decision about your, your offering on a weekly basis. Boy, what a struggle that is even, huh? Because God doesn't say, here, I need X number of dollars. He says, sit down and make a first fruits, give your best, Make it regular. Make it proportionate to your income. And man, when we, when we actually sit down with our spouses and our children and say, what should our gift to God be on a regular basis? That struggle. Is this too great of a cost? Is the gift a white elephant? Well, I want you to look at this story of the wise men. We don't know how many there were really. But clearly these wise men, magi as they're called, were men 
who thought that they had received a gift far greater than any cost that they could ever pay out. Clearly, they did not in any way see the gift of Jesus to them as a white elephant gift. They were willing to give of their time to make a huge, long journey. They were willing to give of their treasures, as we just read. And they were even willing to give of their talents because of the way they, they viewed the gift of Jesus Christ, this amazing gift that had forgiven their sins, that had taken their fears away. The gift of Jesus, a Messiah, who had, who had given to them a hope and a joy that they had never experienced before in their lives. And they were coming to express that hope and joy to the very one who was giving it to them. Let's take a look again at these passages. And I want to start out by just looking at the, at the very first passage. And I think already we see that when, when the wise men looked at Jesus, they did not see cost. They saw immense value. And that's really what I want, I want you to, uh, to ask yourself this morning. Do you see cost when you look at Jesus Christ? Or do you see immense, immeasurable treasure and value? The first verse says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And it's kind of interesting to think about how did, how did these wise men come to know about Jesus? Do you know much about the Magi? Magi were, um, were men who were actually pretty powerful. They were from the, the land of Babylon. And they had been appointed going all the way back to the time of Daniel, six or seven hundred years before Christ himself, to be so powerful that they were advisors to the king himself and were viewed as king makers. When one king passed on, it was very often the magi who were gathered together to decide who the next king of the empire would be. These were very, very powerful and wise men. Now, they loved to dabble in astronomy and astrology, and they were called wise men for the very reason that they loved to study and get to know what human beings were all about. Because they were astronomers and astrologers, of course, they kept their eyes to the skies. And they had seen this star in the east, and it reminded them of some of the prophecies that they had heard from this young Jewish man named Daniel. I don't know if you recall from the book of Daniel, but Daniel, this Jewish boy who was carried into exile from Jerusalem, from Judah, all the Jews were carried into exile, and, and Daniel with them, and his three friends, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, and they became leaders in this empire. It created a lot of jealousy. That's how Daniel ended up in a lion's den at one point. Because all, all the jealousy that was uh, against him. And part of that jealousy had to do with the fact that Daniel was appointed head of the Magi. If you read in, in Daniel, you'll read that he was actually the head of all of them. And he began to teach the Magi, I'm sure, the prophecies about the Christ. 
And now, fast forward 600 years later, those prophecies about the Christ, the Savior of the entire world, not just of the Jews, but of the entire world, had been passed down from one generation of Magi to another. And they see this star and begin to follow it. They're seeking. And that's probably our first most important point, that when we hear about Christ, it's going to set off a round of seeking and searching that's not natural to us. Take a look at this passage that I, that I put into your crosswalk notes from Psalm 14, verses 2 and 3. The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. And what's the answer? No one. No one, because all have turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. You see what our natural condition is according to Psalm 14? Our natural condition is to run away from God. Or as we'll talk about in a moment, to be angry with God and to want to fight with God. No one by nature seeks God. And the reason for that is that sin has created a chasm or a divide between us and God naturally. But these magi were clearly no longer in their natural condition as lost sinners. They had heard those prophecies about the Savior passed down from one generation to another. And that gospel promise that their sins were forgiven in this Messiah, that he would die on the cross for them, that he would sacrifice himself for them. Clearly, those drew these men to find out more. Where are you? Are you still in that, that initial natural condition? I was once there. I didn't become a Christ follower until my teen years where I was angry with God, where I didn't want to have anything to do with God. Maybe you're there as you're sitting here today. Not yet even at the point where you're seeking God. But I want you to see these magi. And how, as they really came to understand the meaning of this gift, the joy, the forgiveness, the peace, that the gift of Jesus Christ brings, that they couldn't help themselves but get up and go and find out more about what this was all about. Isaiah talks about that response in chapter 55, and I put this verse in your crosswalk notes. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. This is what God is calling you to do, and by the power of his Holy Spirit, through the gospel promise, empowering you to do. To seek him while he may be found, call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. God is calling you to turn from your old way of life and get on a new pathway. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. There's that gospel promise. Underline those words. He will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. I don't know what you're struggling with. 
But one thing I, I, I want no one to leave this room without knowing exactly and firmly is that you have a God who freely pardons. And whatever, whatever things in your past that you're struggling with, maybe it's uh, one of those things you were given and you're struggling right now with how do I deal with this in a, in a good way, in a God-pleasing way. How do I get rid of this white elephant? Maybe it's something else. Maybe you were tempted to, to do something. You know, man, I, that was so wrong of me to do that. Know that as you sit here today, this gospel promise is there for you. God will have mercy on you, and he will freely pardon. That's why he sent you this gift of his son, Jesus Christ. And let that gift of mercy and pardon draw you to seek to learn more about Jesus Christ. Because when, when you are drawn to learn more about Jesus Christ and to fill up with, the, with this gift, you're going to be amazed at how much your life is going to change for the good. So here's our first point. Jesus is a gift who initiates seeking and searching. Just like these wise men did. Now, it's interesting because these wise men, they didn't hide in the least what they were about. Of course, I think it would have been a little bit hard because they were such powerful men. I'm sure that as they rode into Jerusalem, they were not, they were not all by themselves. In fact, some scholars believe that part of the reason the city got so upset about the arrival of the Magi was that they were known to be powerful men, and by them riding into Jerusalem... And they were known to come from a country that was a traditional enemy of the Jews. Part of the fear might have been that they were trying to provoke some sort of war, some sort of battle, some sort of fear, just internationally, an international incident. And they would have come riding in with a, a ton of cavalry and soldiers to protect them. And so this created an amazing upset. What are these people here for? But look, they don't, they don't make any bones about it. They're very clear why they've come. They came to Jerusalem, verse 2 says, and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Now that's a little bit of a provocative question, especially once I tell you more about Herod. But look at what they say. We saw his star in the east and have come to Worship him. Circle that word worship. See, that's why they were coming to Jerusalem. Their hearts filled with hope that they would learn more through searching to find this gift. They came to worship this king. And, and they're really clear about this. In fact, we know that they communicated this because if you go down to verse 8, even Herod catches on to while they're there. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Implying just like you want to. I want to worship him. Isn't it interesting that when we get this gift, if we're in the same frame of mind as these magi, these wise men were, one of the, one of the things that's going to provoke in you and me is the feeling of awe and wonder that God 
would send his very own son for us. A feeling of worship that says, you know what? This is amazing what God has done. And this, this word for worship is kind of a cool word because what it means is the kind of worship that they used to do for kings in ancient times. When you went into the throne room of the king, you literally got down on your belly and prostrated yourself flat out before the king. That's the picture in this word worship, that we are flat out before God, understanding how powerful and how amazing and how awesome he is so that we, we bury our forehead on the ground because we, can, we can't even stand to look at him. He's so amazing and so powerful. That's what this word worship means, the word that's chosen here. That's what these wise men came to do. Now, when you look throughout the Bible, guess what? When people come to understand the gift of Jesus Christ, it, it essentially only provokes two reactions, and we see both of them in this text. One is that flat-out, forehead-to-the-ground worship, our God is amazing and awesome. Or it provokes fear and anger. And that's the reaction that we see in Herod, isn't it? Herod immediately felt threatened when these wise men came. Who is this king, this supposed king? Does he want to take my throne? You have to understand something about Herod. Herod was a man who wanted to be known and remembered and noticed. He wanted to leave a legacy. There was no greater builder all the way, going all the way back to the time of Solomon himself, then Herod. He built this amazing temple, or at least he started it because it took 80 years for it to be finished. He built a port city named Caesarea so that there could be greater trade. And at times he could be amazingly generous. There was a, a huge famine in the country in 25 BC, and we're told that Herod took his own possessions out of the palace, the things that were made out of gold, and he had them all melted down and turned into money so that he could give it out to the poor people who were suffering during this famine. But the same Herod could be exceptionally vicious too, especially when it came to protecting his kingship. In fact, he was so vicious that he had his own wife, Mariamne, killed. Three of his sons killed because he thought that they were plotting to take him out of his kingship. He once took the high priest who he thought was threatening him and had him drowned and then threw a big funeral for him, a big state funeral for him, and mourned over him publicly even though he was the one who had had him drowned, thinking that he was plotting to take away his kingship. So in that context now, here come these wise men saying, where's the real king? The one who was promised and prophesied a long time ago to be the king of the Jews. And Herod's reaction sounds good. When you, when you find him, he says, come so... Come tell me so that I can go worship him too. But you know what? That's not what he wanted to do. Later on, we tell, we hear how he murdered the children. 
trying to seek to, to kill this one who was born king of the Jews. What's our reaction? It's a, it's a question that we constantly have to ask. Does Jesus, does it, even hearing that name make you angry? Do you sometimes feel threatened? Maybe, maybe not directly threatened. Maybe you're worried that Jesus is going to take someone that you care about from you. Alienate them from you to himself. Maybe you're just worried that all this stuff about forgiveness applies to everyone else, but it doesn't apply to me. And when you think about a holy God, you want to run the other direction. Or, like the wise men, does the gift of Jesus provoke worship and awe and a feeling of amazement that God would do such a thing for you? Take a look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. There's the response God is looking for. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. In reality, God is saying, here's the response I want from you. Hold me up with reverence and awe. Worship me because through Jesus Christ, you are receiving an eternal kingdom an eternal inheritance in heaven. This life is going to go away. But eternal life that's given to you as a gift freely from Jesus Christ will never go away. It's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. And do you know that you can, if you truly believe that you have this amazing gift from God, you can You can even worship God in in the toughest of times. Job had just had his entire family barring his wife and all of his possessions taken away from him. And in Job chapter 1 verse 20, we read this. Even though all this bad stuff had just happened to him, it says Job got up, tore his robe, which was a sign of mourning. He was honest about his feelings, shaved his head, And then he fell to the ground in worship. The beauty of the gift of Christ is that all of a sudden, every other possession pales in comparison to having God's son, Jesus, in our hands and having that eternal kingdom as our possession. And whatever else may be taken away from us, we can still, like Job, bow down and worship God and say, God, I thank you for all that you've done for me by sending the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. So here's our second point. Jesus is a gift who not only initiates searching, he's a gift who motivates worship. And here's the final part. When those men came, as we read, they brought gifts with them, didn't they? Going down to verse 11, it says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. The title 
on this message is the gift that keeps on giving. And do you know why the gift of Jesus Christ is a gift that keeps on giving to you and to others? All you have to do is look at the wise men and see why that phrase is so true. See, once they were filled with the love and the awe of Christ, once they were filled with that worshipful feeling, there was nothing else that they could do but give back. And, and it, it wasn't forced upon them. No one was, was holding a, a, a whip over them and saying, you, you better give more. It, it was completely a response of worship, of love, and of awe that they brought these gifts. And the gifts themselves show how much they understood about who Jesus was. Gold. Gold was always given as a symbolic gift to a king. So clearly, they understood that Jesus was the king of kings. Frankincense, incense was often given to priests as a, as a, as a, as a way to indicate prayers that when, uh, when the priests would uh, go into the temple, they would offer incense. And it was their way symbolically of saying, as the smoke of this incense rises up into heaven, God, and it smells sweet to us, may our prayers rise up into heaven and be sweet to your ears. May you hear them and answer them. So that indicated that these wise men clearly understood that not only was Jesus Christ the king of kings, he was the great high priest. And myrrh? Myrrh was the chemical that was mixed with the water when Jesus died. Uh, a sort of anesthetic chemical spice that would numb a person to pain. And it would seem from that gift that they even understood the prophecies of Isaiah. And you go back to the prophecies of Isaiah that were written about the same time as Daniel, a little before him. And you'll see that in there, Isaiah clearly paints a picture of a Messiah who offers himself to suffer for his people. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They knew that this little baby was the, the Christ child, the, the, the king of kings, the, the high priest, the one who would one day die for their sins, and they offer gifts that are so meaningful to that. Take a look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. See what Paul says to the Romans? Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Just as those wise men offer gold and incense and myrrh, Paul says to you and to me, he once said to the Roman Christians, here's your gifts to God. Your own bodies, your own selves. Offer yourself to God in generosity, your time, your talents, your treasures. And when you do that, Christ the gift becomes a gift that we give back to God and back to one another. A great congregation that practiced this is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 2 to 5. 
Look at what it says. Even in a severe trial, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected. Here it is again. But they gave themselves, underline that, will you? They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Take a look at some of those thoughts in there. These were people that weren't giving out of the extra of what they had left over. They were undergoing a severe trial themselves. What was overflowing was not their possessions and their money and the stuff they had. What was overflowing was the joy in their hearts. Because they were people in extreme poverty, but all in all, it still welled up in rich generosity. And they gave even beyond their ability to give. And were they forced? They did it all entirely on their own. That's our third point, and and such an important one, is that when we receive the gift of Jesus Christ, the third response is that Jesus is a gift who instigates giving. Just like those wise men. When we're touched by the love of Christ, we are going to want to give back. So what do you see here in this gift of Jesus Christ? What do you see in the forgiveness, the free forgiveness that you've been offered, that all your sins have been wiped away, that your guilt and shame are gone, that you have received an eternal life, an unshakable kingdom, all by the grace of God? Do you see value? Immense, immeasurable value? Or do you still at times see it as that white elephant gift? That's the question before us today. Do we see cost in Jesus Christ? Or do we see value? How are you going to respond to this amazing gift? And I want to take you back through some of the passages that we studied. Are you going to seek him like the wise men did and and call on him? Are you going to be willing to travel a, a long way from your old way of life and maybe forsake your old way of thinking? Are you ready to turn to the Lord? Just like we read earlier, seek the Lord while he may be, while, while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Are you ready to respond to the gift of Jesus Christ in that way? Here's another question for you. Are you thankful for this gift? Ready to worship him with reverence and awe every day of your lives. Remember what the author to the Hebrews wrote? Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. And final question, are you ready to keep God's mercy 
constantly in view his forgiveness and his grace in front of your eyes at all times. And out of your joy, out of the joy that fills your heart because you have God's forgiveness, are you ready to give back and be generous to others? Remember what Paul wrote to the Romans, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy to you, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. What's your response to this gift going to be? I want to say together as a congregation, if you really want to deeply understand this gift and be renewed daily in it, one great way to do it, and you've heard us now for three weeks promoting this, is to join a growth group. There are all the tables over there. Man, when you get into a growth group, What an opportunity to understand way more deeply what this gift of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, means to you. So let me encourage you, especially today, that as a group, I'm really praying that we are going to get a ton of people in growth groups so that we can take this gift that God has given us and hang on to it tightly. Pull out your crosswalk notes one last time. I want to take you through the next steps. Here's some practical next steps based on today's message. Make a commitment out of gratitude for this gift of Jesus that God has given to worship God in all you do. The secret is that little phrase, in view of God's mercy, constantly keep God's gift to you in mind. You have a Savior in Jesus. Then secondly, let me ask you to consider signing up for a crosswalk growth group. This is a place where you can give back to others as Christ has first given to you, and you will be reminded weekly of the richness of the gift of Jesus Christ. Finally, meditate on and memorize Matthew 2, verses 10 and 11. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you've given us this amazing, this valuable gift of your son, Jesus Christ. And as we, as we witness how the Magi, the wise men, responded to that gift, we ask you, because we know that this is not our natural response, sinners that we are, we ask you to give us one more gift, Lord. Fill our hearts with faith and love by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the power of your word, so that we may respond to the gift of Jesus, your Son, in the same way that these wise men did. Help us, Lord to seek you every day of our lives and to search for you, especially in your word. Help us, Lord, to to know how, how awesome and generous and loving you are so that we may worship you with, with our whole bodies and with all that we are. And Lord, finally, give us your, your power so that as we understand more and more about this gift to ourselves, we may give of ourselves to others and back to you. Lord, we ask all these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.